Hello and welcome to War Stories, a year at the Tyneside Cinema. My name is Simon Dowling and this episode is about Darkest Hour. Darkest Hour is the latest film from Joe Wright who directed Atonement and Pan and Hannah and I must admit I'm not a huge fan of Joe Wright. I find him a little bit too trite and for want of a better phrase too British. It is written by Anthony McCartan who most recently wrote The Theory of Everything so that kind of gives you a little bit of a clue as to the vibe that we're getting here and he's also written the upcoming Bohemian Rhapsody, the Freddie Mercury biopic. It's very Oscar Beatty, it's very much of the season in which it is being released. The film focuses on the May 1940 war cabinet crisis in which Neville Chamberlain stepped down as Prime Minister and was succeeded by Winston Churchill, despite that being against the will of the Conservative Party, their choice is uh, Viscount Halifax here, played by Stephen Delane, who is out to broker peace between Great Britain and Germany through Mussolini. Chamberlain was initially meant to be played by John Hurt, but obviously he was too ill to take the role and sadly passed away, so is played by Ronald Pickup instead. They're both perfectly good performances, um, particularly Neville Chamberlain. He was suffering from, from cancer at the time that he stepped down, and his kind of weakness as a prime minister and as a person, you have to be very loud to be prime minister at that time. The weakness is portrayed incredibly well. Stephen Delane doesn't particularly impress or not impress. He puts in a perfectly serviceable performance as Viscount Halifax. Um, he's got a very good face for looking pissed off at his surroundings, which he has to do for the vast majority of the film. Gary Oldman plays Winston Churchill and, as of speaking, has already been given one award for playing Winston Churchill. Now, I do believe, well, considering there is another Winston Churchill film coming out, there are other people who could have taken the role, especially those who probably wouldn't have had to spend four hours in makeup in order to perform it, but that's not Gary Oldman's prerogative. He is a transformative actor. He is always the top of lists of people's favourite actors because of how much of a chameleon he is. He's he's very method. He's like a sub-Daniel Day-Lewis he isn't Daniel Day-Lewis. Here, his performance is brilliant. I'm not a huge fan of Winston Churchill, I guess I should say. He is a pompous uh, imperialist. He's very much like Boris Johnson. He, in his character, is remarkably similar to Boris Johnson in this film. Thematically, the film expresses the importance of words in the way that it is structured between these three very important and very famous Winston Churchill speeches. It's obviously allegorical for the times in which we are living now that where those in charge don't particularly have that oratory power that Winston Churchill and even Adolf Hitler had, we meet Winston Churchill through a conduit in the form of Elizabeth Layton, who is played by Lily James, and in my opinion, criminally underused, and almost a pointless character in the way that she is set up. Like I said, she is the audience's eyes. We meet Winston Churchill at the same time as Elizabeth Layton does. 
but then she goes on to be tossed aside. She's given one moment of emotional weight a little bit later on, but it comes very much too little, too late. And as good a performance Lily James gives, it's a very Joe Wright performance. It's kind of peculiar that Kira Knightley wasn't given the role, perhaps. Joe Wright should return to making films with Kira Knightley because they tend to be his best work. Now, the film itself, to me, felt very much like Act 2 of a grander film. I guess because of where it is placed in real terms, if one was to write a screenplay of World War II, this would very much be the end of Act 2. Neville Chamberlain has fallen and is being succeeded by a new Prime Minister, France has fallen, Belgium has fallen, 300,000 people are on the beach at Dunkirk waiting to be evacuated, and then followed by a German invasion of Britain. And because it's a true story, we know that this didn't happen. The evacuation of Dunkirk was a success thanks to Winston Churchill's decisions. In the way that it feels like Act 2, it never starts, never really gets going, and doesn't have a rapturous ending. It reminds me a little bit of Danny Boyle's Steve Jobs, in which, again, that was kind of connected by these three main speeches, but also, in my opinion, never really gets going and doesn't really tell a story in the best medium that I think it should have. I very much felt like I just wanted to turn the film off and watch Dunkirk instead. It would be a pretty good back-to-back. There's a, there's a pivotal moment in the film in which if you stopped Darkest Hour watched Dunkirk and then turned Darkest Hour back on, it would function really well as a little sandwich. Again, Joe Wright isn't a isn't to me a spirited director. He's not someone who I look at and go, oh yes, this is a Joe Wright movie. Beyond the casting and the film choices that he makes these kind of period turn of the century pieces. There are a few moments in this film that really leapt out at me and didn't fit to me, they felt a little bit Zack Snydery. He made some choices in which we would step away from the settings that we are comfortable with in the film. So you're talking Houses of Parliament, Winston Churchill's house, and the War Cabinet room. We were transported to the road as the French people were fleeing from their homes. Or an old citadel in Calais where the British army were about to lose. And they all have the same pattern. The character stops, the character looks up, and the camera zooms out and gives us a grander vision of what is happening in the war. In the case of the little boy looking up, we zoom out and then a plane passes overhead, a plane that contains Winston Churchill on his way to speak to the French. The second instance is the general at Calais who looks up, it zooms out as bomber planes pass overhead, and they... As I say, they feel Zack Snydery. They they give this grand CGI picture of the map of the war and the impact, but they don't fit with the rest of the film, which is very much a character piece. They felt like the end of the Matrix. They just didn't fit with the rest of the film. There is one particular scene that I'd like to mention as being particularly bad, and it's really badly written and is particularly trite and it is Winston Churchill choosing to use the underground to to get to Westminster instead of taking a car. When he's on the underground he meets a vast canvas of characters of real Britons who inspire him 
not to surrender and not to concede to Hitler and negotiate in peace talks. And it is bad. It is a very, very bad scene. This scene just very much goes against, I guess, what I would consider the realism of the rest of the film. Instead of, you know, focusing on Churchill's efforts in the war room and Churchill's relationship with his wife and Churchill's relationship with his war cabinet members, it kind of, it's almost meant to be this turnaround scene for Winston Churchill that we know he didn't have. It's very much trying to capture this spirit of Britain and how all of Britain was behind Churchill and ready to fight the Nazis and obviously we did and we won. But this scene is just horrible. It's so cringy and so Oscar baity, and it just really, really ruined the film for me. I think without that scene, they could have had this moment in so many different ways. Whether it's a true story or not that he met all of these ordinary people, which <laughs> is a term that I find funny because of the fact that ordinary people is still very much a thing in politics today, as lampooned by the thick of it, it just is really horrible <laughs> and not enjoyable in the slightest. And like I say, totally ruined the film for me. It's very much of the season in which the film is coming out. This is an awards play from an awards playing director, an awards playing screenwriter, and a man who hates the awards so much that he's chosen to take, I guess, the role of a lifetime, as it says on the billboards, and finally clutch these Golden Globes and these Oscars from the hands of the people that he absolutely despises. But it's a very good biopic about a very bad man, done in a very trite way, and... I think a lot of people will enjoy it. It's a very Sunday afternoon ITV movie and it's very rousing and it does exactly what it's set out to do and if it wins awards, then it's done even better than I particularly think it should do. Just watch Dunkirk is all I will say. Anyway, again, my review is on Letterboxd where I've made a few points. I've completely, I've just realised I've completely forgotten to mention that Ben Mendelsohn is in this as the king and is weird. I have no idea what he was doing. <laughs> but yes, go to Letterboxd, my username is the Slow, and read a few extra points that I made about the film, as well as seeing my star rating. Thank you for listening to War Stories A Year at the Tyneside Cinema. My name is Simon Dowling.